0: Fuck it, let's do it. Yes, (laughs) that's really like a guy's voice. I'm gonna drop in every day. Please do,
1: please do. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to the Oncast. My name is Dom, as one half of the Oncast, I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. Hello, I knew you were gonna do that.
0: Of course, I was.
1: In this episode, we're talking about *The Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King*, directed by Peter Jackson and starring Elijah Wood, Ian McKellen, and Viggo Mortensen, to yeah. name but a few. Yeah, so, never heard of it. This is it. This is the final one. Is it? So, we are, our epic journey has come to an end. We've now we've done these uh, three weeks in a row, um, and now we've gone to go and see the I final mean, one.
0: It's definitively an unexpected journey, Dom.
1: Yeah, it is. Our unexpected journey through Lord of the Rings, but then now you now you're making me think of the Hobbit. and I don't want to think about the Hobbit. So we've gone there, we've gone there we'll and go back again. No, we've gone there and back
0: again, again Dom. <sighs> and watch all of the Hobbits. Don't
1: make me watch the Hobbit. I don't want to talk about the Hobbit. No. <sighs> yeah. Every time we revisit these, it just reminds me how disappointing the Hobbit was. Anyway, we're not talking about that. we're talking about Lord of the Rings. So th- yeah, we've um, we've come to the epic conclusion. This is it. So this is Return of the King. Yeah. Um, Where do you start? Where do you start? Obviously so this is the the final part of what is was always again similar to how we talked about two towers last week in that it was always constructed to be a middle part of a trilogy. This was always gonna be the ending. So it does feel like it's all conclusion.
0: So one what's what's um uh, also I want to correct myself because I remember I think it was last week or the week before. Mm. Um, I did make a statement about there being a gap in recording between the films that they did the first, and then there was a gap. Mm. There wasn't. No. there was a, The gap was because of winter. Yeah. So they took a six-month break because it was winter and go back. So, I'd, yeah, just correcting myself in there in case anyone wrote in because we definitely check that email inbox. Yep. Um, but, yeah, this one's really interesting. Like, one of the one of the things that i would say is like as much as the film structurally this is the end i enjoy going to find about like i don't cuz you watched all the making of stuff didn't you yeah yeah did they explain that the last scenes of this film and this trilogy were shot three months into principal photography. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they, it's all, there's loads of
1: like because again, like you say, winter games. So there's mm. loads of things where like or they they first started shooting some of the stuff for Return of the King, and it was like the scene where. Um, Frodo tells Sam to go away. Yeah. And they filmed that in a squash court in Wellington. Yeah. (laughs) Because there was a giant flood in Wellington and they couldn't film anything else. All the stuff they were filming outside for Fellowship, they were trying to film everything for Fellowship first. Yeah. And then they had to, suddenly, because of the weather, they had to go, right, let's just cut. And so, like, Sean Astin and Elijah Wood were just like, that's a really, like, hard emotional scene to get to. I don't know if we're ready to do that Mm. yet. We've only just started. But they've both both said that, like,
0: it added... It's added like extra sort of depth to them, like retroactively, because then they could rely on how they were, like as hard as it was to get to that emotional sort of crescendo, that early in, they could always refer back to that, or they could seed in that emotional sort of resonance as it sort of laid out. It's an
1: interesting way of doing it, and like yeah, like starting at the end, and like and again, everything gets so you know muddled up in terms of the the sequence in which they shot these things. Mm. Um, because they, didn't, they' death, yeah, was
0: filmed in like the first five months, but then he continued to be on set for another year, yeah, shooting his stuff,
1: yeah, then and so, then they had to come back for reshoots and stuff, and there were like mm. there were some major sequences towards the end of this movie that was they reshot, so the whole the confrontation with gotlem at the end of in Mount Doom. They reshot that because they were worried that the way they had it before, it looked like Frodo was deliberately pushing him. Yeah, and they were like, "We need to make it look less deliberate and more of an accident." Yeah, and so that's they completely redid that again, right on the in sort of last minute. And they were making these, and specifically with the special effects, because this one is so special effects heavy. Yeah, and I think, yeah, again, watching some of the behind the scenes stuff, it's something like I think Two Towers had something like five hundred visual effects shots. Mm -hmm this had 1,500. Yeah. It was like, his mental because just everything about it, a lot of this movie takes place in Minas Tirith and Plenor Fields and Gondor and that whole sort of environment which didn't exist. No. None of it existed. There wasn't even a field no. that could sort of do what they wanted it to so that everything was created in digitally and then they had obviously the, the sort of the, the armies that are going to war in this movie which are insane in comparison yeah. to like in In Two Towers and in um, Helm's Deep, you had, what, 10,000 orcs? And that was like... Mm. They made that impressively, and it was a sight to behold. Here, we're talking like 200,000. It's just... It's insane. Yeah.
0: And it's it's the final, sort of, final showdown between Mordor and everything else. Yeah. And it sort of benefits from... The stepping up of scale. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, whilst it is a massive step up mm. and there is less of a, I don't know, the, it doesn't feel so much like the sort of feet on the ground with this one.
1: No. but the,
0: There is no, like, I didn't feel, at, apart from the bit with Eowyn, mm. at that point, there's the only time that I felt that there was an actual battle of lives being lost, rather than just swathes of things happening, I don't know, like bit, sweeping I... clouds of ghost locust
1: warriors, and then uh, yeah, let's we'll talk about the ghost locust later because yeah. there is some stuff to be said for that. But I do know what you mean. But I think what they did a really good job of, because like you say, the majority of this, the sort of the battle around this is that it's a siege for Ministereth. Yeah. So there's a city that has been the know, siege like, section. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I mean. That's per and you see like there's a you know a balcony full of civilians and then it just gets wrecked. Yeah. And you feel that and like and again like one of the openings or the first bits of when that battle f- kicks off and it kicks off fairly early. Like I say, it, this is the cut that we saw is like a four hour, <laughs> cut. four hours and twenty three minutes. But like the siege of Minas starts within the first hour and then yeah. it goes on and on and on and it just it it gives you that feeling of a prolonged siege.
0: Yeah. It goes on for probably an hour and a half. Yeah. So it starts within the first sort of 40 minutes or so. Yeah. And then it ends
1: when there's about an hour and a half yeah. left. But that, that opening, the opening salvo, the first thing they do is throw the severed heads of the guys yeah. over the battlements. And that's when you go, oh shit, <laughs> that's when, like, things shit like, gets oh, rid of. This is the
0: extended, cut. <laughs> and
1: that's yeah, but no, no, that's not even in the extended. Is that cut. in the I regular think cut. it might be. I think that they might have like cut away from it a little bit, but I do remember it being there from the, from the mm. theatrical gut because it's always, yeah, it's the release the prisoners and then catapults. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's quite iconic. So, but this I've, is the
0: one that I remember the least of mm. from an theatrical. extended perspective and yeah. like a theatrical perspective. So, having seen it last night in the extended. There are points where I'm like like the opening with Smeagol, yeah. I'm like, okay, this is the
1: extended version of That was always there. Was Was it always there? I'm pretty sure that's that scene in its entirety was always the way it was. The things that I think of as being part of the extended cut are like um all the stuff with Faramir and Aowen. Yeah. Um and the houses of healing, all that's new. That's all new. Um, there is a little bit more of the um, Army of the Dead that goes on a little bit longer. Um, they also
0: get to... You see them come out of the mountain yeah, see on that? the other side for yeah. the actual point that they're going yeah, exactly. there for. Yeah,
1: yeah so that, does, otherwise, that is added in. Um, there are the, like, the showdown between Gandalf and the Witch King. That doesn't happen in the in the no. theatrical cut. The bit with Saruman. Saruman, that's the biggest thing. That's that's, the biggest and that's thing. something we should talk about straight away, actually, because that is right at the very beginning of the movie. Um, so that is the, one of the biggest, most glaring parts of the whole extended cut versus theatrical cut. Is that in the theatrical trilogy, the last time you see Saruman is in Two Towers as Isengard is being overrun by the Ents mm-hmm. at the end of the film, and he's sort of looking out at his balcony, and it's all gone to shit, and that's it. And we don't see him in Return and of the they, King.
0: They refer to it at the start of they refer to him at the start uh, in Return of the King. Yeah by saying that he's now a prisoner. Well, that's he's like a powerless prisoner in that, this tower. That's the
1: weirdest thing, is that they have that scene. They have the scene where Gandalf and Theoden and everyone, they ride up to the Tower of Isengard and they speak to Treebeard yeah. about what's going on. And in the theatrical cut, just Treebeard just goes, ah, he's locked in his tower now forever. Yeah, And that's it. And they never... And it's just like... Saruman was such a massive part of the last two movies and you're just going to write him out. But then... Having said that, the scene that we do now have in the extended cut does feel a little bit clunky in places, I feel. Yeah, because it if...
0: loses a lot of the... So I feel like, like the dust... <laughs> because they're so... Because they're so far it, away it's from expressly, each other. Yeah, it's expressly shown how fucking big this tower is yeah, yeah. in this, in in all three films. Yeah. But when they're having this communicate, it's like they're just calling up from like a one-storey balcony. Yeah. And he's like, Oi, prick! What are you fucking doing? <laughs> yeah. And, and he's like, so... No, no, you fuck off. This is my house. I'll do what I want. No, no. You fucking come down here and I'll show you what for.
1: There's a bit there's a bit of that going on as well. Denethor does one earlier later on as well, where he shouts, "Flee <laughs> your lives, and everyone throughout all of Minas Tirith can hear him somehow. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, wait a minute, this place like you've you've misunderstood the scale here. I don't understand how voices yeah. carry in this world. Um but yeah, I know what you mean. It's a bit disconnected and also just the dialogue's a bit sort of clunky I feel like it's Mm. because what they've done is they've lifted it directly from the book in this case I remember like the gibbets and crows and you know and all that sort of stuff and we shall have peace when this happens and you can tell though when they're they're doing it you can tell they haven't done that sort of contemporary Peter Jackson pass of it they've just lifted it from Tolkien Yeah, and it just feels like they didn't spend as much time on that scene as they could have no there's so no even to the point where like Gandalf like he ends up repeating himself. So you were deep in the enemy's council, and then later in the scene he says, "You were deep in the enemy's council." He says the same thing yeah. again. It's like, you guys haven't. Did you read it again? Like you could have just just one more pass on the script. I think yeah. It was like that might be a symptom of it being a deleted scene, or I don't know. Um,
0: yeah, I think it is because there's a lot of like catching up that tends to happen with the extended things. So there are points when you'll go, you'll see something happen, then they'll refer to it again. Yeah. Because they are, you're like, there is a disconnect there Mm. because that thing clearly was made, but it didn't fit in. Yeah. But then they're putting a squared peg in a rounded hole. So it does fit, but not perfectly. And And there are things that are, that do sort of stand out a little bit more and you're like, hmm, okay. Yeah. Like that. Does stick out in a big way. Yeah. Um, My girlfriend pointed out loads, and she was like, "This is the of bit. Yep. This is the of bit. Yep." She was like, <laughs> "I don't remember this bit. It's the of bit. Ah, yeah. uh-huh. the bit where uh, Gladril no that was helps in, Frodo. That was in. Was that in the? Yeah. Was it? Was that in the? I swear to God, car? it was.
1: Yeah, he was. I don't think it was,
0: man. Like,
1: oh, we're gonna have to consult the DVD in a minute. But I'm. I swear it was because I remember. I remember that. I remember it when he like he falls over and then he's in the in the um bushes or whatever and he's like suddenly he's in this you know craggy horrible place and he falls and as he hits the ground suddenly he's in the wooded area yeah I remember it I don't remember that at all from the theatrical cut I don't know oh uh, yeah maybe well yeah
0: I don't but I'm, I genuinely I'm not that familiar with the theatrical cuts yeah I've seen
1: the extended cuts far more, more times yeah, yeah. than I
0: have the theatrical
1: um but yeah I mean like the Sauron scene the Sauron scene sorry I'm I'm glad we got to see it and sort of Sam Rand deserved that, particularly as not only did they cut that, they also, one of the biggest changes that they made from the book in this one is getting rid of the whole sequence at the end, which is the scouring of the Shire.
0: Yeah. Which uh, is a
1: massive divergence. The it's sacking probably, of
0: whatever it's called. Yeah. It's the sack of... I think the it's s- of-
1: called the scouring of the Shire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, so it's Sort of the idea in the books is that they get to this point at the very end of the whole story where the four hobbits go back home to the shire mm. and when they get there they find that saruman has taken over and just completely gutted the place and turned it into like a you know a industrial fucking horrible place yeah. like he like he did with isengard and this is because we they let him go at, yeah. at the end of or he just he managed to slink away whilst everyone was dealing with S- sauron and then the idea is then the four hobbits sort of band together and merry i think it's Merry or pippin kills him yeah. But like they like rise up with all the um the hobbits and sort of become heroes of the Shire and restore it back and the idea is kinda of like it's almost like they're going, Oh yeah, everything you've done up to this point is to make you guys all like these badass warriors. So you don't need the fellowship. You don't need yeah. an Aragorn or a Legolas or anything. You guys can just do it on your own. Which is an interesting point. I completely understand why they cut it out of the movie. Yeah because it's just like they'd have to just start up all over again after having had all that climax yeah of getting rid of Sauron, uh, Sauron and just like and yeah crowning the king and just going through all that trauma and then just to come back and then have to restart up a new threat again establish the yeah. stakes sort of it's like it's a whole it's a second season of TV do you know what I mean it's like yeah because it is sort of
0: when when you look at the way that Tolkien wrote a lot of this stuff it was very much framed around his experiences in the war mm. and it was literally a case of him and three of his best friends all went to war yeah and only two came back mm. so he and one of his friends came back and uh this is like a lot of this is like this, the small person going into this war that they don't understand yeah. it's far bigger than any of them and that they are sort of thrust into this to to be who they are mm. And it's this weird sort of allegorical thing of because the books itself, the books themselves, as much as they are sort of widely lauded as like some of the greatest books of all time, are not well reviewed. No, if you look at the way that sort of um, sort of literary journalists and reviewers look at these books, they're like they are just flat stories that are really complicated and full of junk and full of like fat that can just be cut out. Yeah. And like there is the sort of like the allegorical messages of like industrialism is very bad and sort of yeah. gutting like sort of he was like a boots on the ground Englishman. And uh, but I think that is sort of like a reference to them coming back from war. Yeah. And facing their own war again. So it's like exactly, it's yeah. re- reflection of PTSD in the way
1: that yeah. it works. And that's that's really interesting. So to me, it's the PTSD element of it is very much something that is. Uh, surviving and is there in the final cut because of Frodo
0: yeah
1: Frodo to me is an allegory for PTSD Mm -hmm. that's what it is exactly what it is it's that it's he comes back we skip him right to the end here (laughs) no but we can yeah there's so many other things Frodo's story and it's it's a very it's a really interesting story and again it's part of the reason why this endures the way it does because he is not the traditional hero story who wins out at the end it's something where he comes back and he's permanently scarred yeah. from what happened to him both physically and psychologically to a point where at the end, the the final sort of part of the movie is that he sails off to the Grey Havens. How that can be interpreted, whether he's effectively committing suicide or, well, it's not committing suicide, it's mm. it's choosing to move on, isn't it? In this very sort of ethereal, yeah. like... But in a practical sense, he is choosing to end his life.
0: Yeah. Isn't he? So but, he's he's they're moving to So the, the Grey Havens are never really sort of defined. Yeah, so exactly. Much it's so difficult. It's, to... it's, it's like, it's moving on to somewhere where they can be at peace yeah. and where they can be at rest. And it's, it's putting his soul to rest as much as it is. But it's like I get, like yeah. yeah, I get like the suicide sort of side of things, or the or the sort of choosing to end his own path or end his own yeah. story. Because
1: that's the thing. So like again, you think of the contrast between him and Sam. So what Sam does in terms of his moving on is to settle down, and have a family. Yeah. For whatever reason, that's not an option for Frodo. Frodo can't do that because he's that sort of you know, traum- you know, broken by the whole experience. It, yeah. And he says that you know, the, 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 he was t- stabbed by the. Um, witch king and is it? never really healed that's a metaphor for the whole thing
0: yeah but also it is it is one of those things isn't it? as much as I like to like my favourite character throughout all of Lord of the Rings is Sam yeah I think he's fucking brilliant he's yeah. just he's Sam, excellent yeah Sam arguably is the true hero but well that's what I was uh, going to say uh. <laughs> is that there is quite a common thread that people saying that Sam is the true hero mm because of what he does. Mm. But the issue is, is that he's not the true hero because he, but he helped, but he didn't get him there. He wasn't the person that carried it. He wasn't the person like Frodo carried it the whole time. There are physical remains Mm. of Frodo, not just mental as well, but the, the the entirety of the anguish that he felt is demonstrated, especially in this, the, the extended cuts. Mm and you can see the scarring yeah. around his neck. Yeah, yeah. And whilst everybody's just holding it up with one hand, his whole demeanor changes as soon as it's back around his neck. Yeah. Or as soon as he knows it's there. It's this I don't know, it feels like a like a reluctance a reluctant burden, but also at the same time he's like carrying the weight of like addiction almost. Yeah. So it is something that he hates but he needs but he needs to go somewhere to sort of move past this.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's again, another little nugget that they put in where, again, that final sort of um, conclusion of everything, you see Bilbo again. Yeah. And one of the only little bits of dialogue that you get from Bilbo is him asking about the ring. Yeah. Because even after the ring's been destroyed and he hasn't had it for 20 years, he's still thinking about it. He can't not think about it. and You feel like that's where Frodo's at. And he's like, we've got to get rid of this for both of our sakes sort of thing. Just exactly what he says to Gollum. Yeah. Is that we we have to try and move past this. Um, but again, yeah, I, I, I always felt it was such a brave thing that, and I'm so glad they never changed it from the books in terms of what happens at Mount Doom. Mm. When Frodo is holding it over the fire and he's there ready to do it. I feel like a lesser filmmaker or a lesser studio interference or whatever would have had him just drop it. Yeah. And that would have been it. But this is like that tragic when he turns around and says, no, I'm not going to do it. Puts the ring on. He's, he's, he's failed. Yeah, Frodo, Frodo fails. He's in that in that sense, he's not the traditional hero. Yeah, but that's
0: up. also going to be the burden that he carries onwards as that well. He didn't that, do it. Yeah, is that that pain that, and you know, he lost a finger.
1: Yeah, the brave you know, thing he did was not letting go. Yeah, that was the brave. That was his the brave. brave thing. Yeah. his
0: bravery was fighting to stay alive. Yeah, and that he got to the point where he was able to return to the Shire, and they were able to walk out of Mount Doom. Mm. And like you say, it's such a powerful way of doing things but well then again you were saying about like the the sort of the lack of studio interference Mm. this is constantly described and during production as well and through everything they've always described it as the biggest independent Independent film film. ever made because there was so so little interference from the studio like the studio got involved but it was also it was almost always like a give and take and they were like peter we're letting you do this but you need to accept that this is going to be the cost so yeah uh like the watcher in the water from fellowship for example they're like right you can have that but you have to make that on your own time we're not going to pay for that yeah so you're not going to
1: earn well yeah just the fact that so much of it they took on themselves and wetter digital and all the rest yeah of it. like they it, it was they were you know it was it's only yeah the necessity born yeah. invention out of it they had to go and do it themselves because yeah. they weren't the studio weren't going to pay for them to go to no. ilm no and that's so, and yeah. that's
0: the thing like you you do get these points where people forget that filmmaking is predominantly nine to five it, it, or is well not so much a nine to five but it, it it works monday to friday yeah people still get weekends off yeah but with this they were like yeah it's Almost every Saturday was worked throughout yeah. this 18 month production. Yeah. And like, including breaks, like, some people just refused to go home. Yeah. Like, because they were so ingratiated into this world and yeah. so bought into it. And like, one of the producers moved, sold his house in California and moved to New Zealand so he could be amongst it all and be really sort of in the trenches with everybody. But it is this, like you say, like, having that effect mm. of this production goes to show sort of the authenticity yeah of it. like i was sort of saying about before like the authenticity of people being right there people yeah. being in amongst it and like um like the new zealand armed forces were yeah. the orcs yeah well, because they, they, that's how they could only get so many hundreds
1: of people in one place they're like oh fuck can we call in the army yeah. i guess but that's so what I love again and looking at some of the behind the scenes stuff. So the the, the big sequence towards the end, which is um, at the gates of Mordor. Yeah, they filmed the only place they could find that was like a desert in New Zealand was that was this one particular place. And it was also where the army would do all their live firing yeah. training and stuff. So there were mines. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere, and yeah. like so. At one point, they like sent like Vigo Mortensen and everyone off on their horses and were filming them and thinking any minute now they could just hit a mine or they'd have to just stop when they just found like a buried mine.
0: Yeah, and that was one of the anecdotes that they they raised about it is that, <laughs> that there's a point when the director was like cut, and everybody except Vigo yeah. stopped, and it wasn't Vigo being Vigo; it was Vigo not hearing, and he just. Fucking left, yeah, and he he stopped, he hit his mark, stopped, turned around, and saw everyone being like, Just fucking stop (laughs) because they were like, Oh, this guy and his horse are dead, yeah, like we found our perfect Aragorn, and he's dead, (laughs) he's gonna blow up, just gonna be a red shower soon. (laughs) But yeah, like you say, it's like it's. Just having stuff like that around, and they're yeah. like, "Oh, it's just junk." It's like the the least picturesque part of New Zealand. Yeah. So of course the army are blowing it
1: up. Yeah. It's the one place where we can blow stuff up and not, <laughs> yeah. not and not hit a mountain or a beautiful lake or something. Yeah, exactly. It's the one place we can do it <laughs> without destroying some area of like perfect natural beauty. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean just. <sighs> This one really is like... So this is obviously the one that won all the Oscars as well. It's returned yeah, the King. 11. It won 11 Oscars. It won for Peter Jackson. It won for the production team. It won for costumes. It won best picture, best score, best everything. And I think deservedly so, because much as you could... Argue, people argue about what their, the best one is. I feel like this is the culmination of everything. And it, is, and it, it only works in that context. It only works yeah. as that massive conclusion. But it's like... All the, like, the technology, all the character work that all the actors have done, yeah. all the world-building, everything pays off in this one. Yeah. This is the one where you get all the bang for your buck. So I understand why having watched it over a three-year period and watched these movies progress, this one comes out and you go, right, that's it. Just give them everything. Give them, yeah. give them everything. Um, and deservedly so, because, like I say, it's ridiculous. I mean, the, yeah.
0: Also, like when you look at the way that the Academy are looking at this, they're not going to look at the first one and be like, well, the second one might be rubbish. Yeah. Because you you can't make Fellowship to that calibre hmm. and then really guff the second one. Yeah. Like, I, well, I mean...
1: We've seen that before, but not when, when it's been yeah. like this, where they've made all three in the same go. Yeah, when they're so, making it all at the same yeah, time, the, you're I mean, like,
0: there, there is a there is justifiable reasoning for them yeah. to be able to go
1: it's the same look we're not gonna it's the same one like
0: they're all the same thing they're making these all in one go so let's just do it then yeah and just go with it then like for now this year and next year everything else is fine the year after that it's gonna be the year of the rings
1: yeah um yeah and they won best adapted screenplay which again deserved even though like I say there are those instances where they had to move things around and Mm -hmm. change things and again this is like there's a massive... I still think that the films are better than the book. Yeah. I mean, again, the the issue that we had with the book, and we talked about this last week as well, is that they are split into chunks in terms of who you follow Yeah. rather than being intercut. And that is the biggest challenge they face when trying to put these to film, is to how to weave those stories in together. So all the she stuff in this film happens in the second book yeah but they had to have that so that was happening around the same like chronologically that was happening whilst the siege of Minas Tirith was happening so they had to try and make it so that it would fit mm. and all that sort of stuff and again as a work of adaptation like i can't imagine like you think of taking on that as a as a screenwriter yeah and it's and just going right how are you going to adapt this so that it makes sense in a linear like three-act movie structure yeah like it's just there's so many characters. There's so many moving pieces. There's so much that you have. So oh, much. I've into... f- forgotten their name. I it's forgot. uh, Philippa Boynes, Fran Walsh, that's it. and Boynes. um, and Peter Jackson. Fran so, Walsh being Peter Jackson's wife, I yeah. believe. Um, and, like, is, like, it's interesting for Fran Walsh because she's never ever seen on any of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Mm. Philippa has interviewed. Fran, like, they've got this whole thing about her being the private one. Yeah, who doesn't want to be in front of the cameras? Yeah. Same with their kids. And it's like that's cool.
0: Oh, that's yeah. really good. She doesn't want anything to do with it, and like. One of the things that I enjoy about her as well is also just how they're like, she's far more direct than anybody else. Yeah. Like, she's quite fearsome. Yeah. And, but there is no doubt that this woman is in complete command of anybody who's, who's around her. That's why I you're love you're like, it. that is fucking brilliant. Like, she doesn't want the flash. Yeah. She doesn't want the attention. But, but everybody knows that she's the boss. But that's
1: what I love about, like, like I said, this sort of collaborative spirit that they, they made these films in 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 that they would just go out and like they got to know each other to a point where it would influence what happens in the film and it like so great example they were talking about how Pippin's song came about Mm. and that was basically because Philippa Boynes one of the writers went out for a night and they were and the guys were singing karaoke yeah and she heard Billy Billy Boyd singing Delilah yeah "Hmm, he can really sing and he wrote the song he didn't write it well, he no, he wrote, he wrote the melody for it. What yeah. happened? So I I thought that as well, but i having sort of done a bit of research into it. Basically, what it is, is the poem? It's a poem from the from the books. Yeah, lifted directly from the book. So the words they just gave him the words and said, "Can you write a melody around this?" Yeah, and sing it. Yeah, on the day, and that's what he did. And that I think that is still and will always be my favorite individual sequence of the entire trilogy. Really? I love it. I love it so much. And it's so well done in terms of just the the editing of it, the way it's all cut together and you get the see- scene. So the scene I'm talking about, for those of you that may not be that familiar with them, is there's a scene where Pippin is asked by Denethor, this, um, the steward of Gondor, who we'll talk about later. <laughs> um, he's asked, come sing me a song. And yeah. he sings in this song, which is this sort of melancholy, you know, thing about you know passing on and Mm. you know home is behind the world ahead and all this but it's intercut with faramir riding to osgiliath to try and retake it which we all know is a futile thing but he's doing it because he's trying he's trying so hard for his father to love him and it's intercut you see this cavalry charge across the field whilst the orcs are getting ready and you see them just eyeing these guys up and just getting all their bows ready and it just cuts it's the way it's all cutting together and like you get these shots where you see all the arrows and then they pull focus and you see all the arrows lining up ready to and then Faramir is riding he knows he's gonna die and i love it just everything about it and billy boy's got like sings it beautifully and and then you also get these really grotesque cuts of um of uh john denethor Eating, and he's like, "It's disgusting, like all the bits, like." And he's yeah. this uncouth, like uncaring, like feasting whilst he's, he's just, just sending stuffing his, son, his face whilst he's sending his son off to die, and like there yeah. is so much conveyed in that scene, and a lot of it is just purely down to the direction of it and the choice of shots and where to cut and when to cut and all the rest yeah. of it, and it's just like, I love it, I love it, it's just it's it's so fucking good, um, and yeah, I think that will always be my favourite part of all of all the rings. To be fair. Is up there. I mean, there's a top five that shifts. Yeah, I'll say you know Helms Deep or the the Charge of the Rohirrim or whatever. There are loads of great fucking. But I think I think that's always going to be the one for me.
0: Honestly, I don't. I
1: couldn't pin
0: anything down.
1: It's hard, isn't it? It's hard because they're like, yeah, there are so many. Again, I could you start thinking about what about Fellowship? What about the Balrog? What Mm. about like and just anything? You could. There are so many moments throughout the whole trilogy. But for whatever reason, I think that one just, it was at the right point. It sort of hammered home the stakes of what was happening mm. in that final film. It's Faramir, who's one of my favourite characters, as we discussed last week. Yeah. And it was just the perfect storm of everything. Yeah. And it was one of those ones where, because of the way it was done on film, it was like, this is better than the book. Yeah. They, through the combination of music and visuals and all the rest of it, you've achieved a feeling that you can only do on film. Yeah. And that was where it was just like this. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, well, that that's the thing. It, it, like, I'm trying to think of something that would be sort of comparable, but I can't because it is like this sort of standalone thing within. It's just the exercise in futility and like the hubris of Denethor just being like, Oh, just go like, I don't care anymore. Like we've, Den- we've got
1: this. Denethor is a piece of shit. And it's Denethor's like and it's uh, I do find it as well. Like I remember when I first saw the I I was thought he was an amazing actor. Hmm. And and he is good, but fucking hell is he hammy. Oh yeah. He's so hammy. Like in these he's so like he's literally his face is quivering with just rage and just like and but I,
0: d- I completely buy it though, because no, I we do are as in well. a world when we're talking about, you know, we're we're in Middle earth and we've got Christopher Lee yeah, and Sir Ian McKellen like just absolutely hamming it see, so much with are sweeping there's... robes True, and but...
1: spinning things around. I don't know, because like for me, like even with Christopher Lee
0: and and um Gandalf Is it now, is it is it less hammy than we've got when we've got Bernard Lee just wailing
1: Death. Death See, I argue yes. I'd argue yeah, it is less hammy because the the thing for me is Théoden, all the old men that you basically described, <laughs> yeah. so Théoden, um, Gandalf, and uh, Saruman all have moments where they're you rem- they're reminded of being human. Yeah. So that particularly with, like Gandalf in particular is like you fool of a Took, and he's got that, those little or your smile or where, and the same with Théoden. Théoden will have a moment where he sort of, yeah. he's grounded again, and then he has these big sweeping, very ha- light, all the rest of it. Denethor gets none of them. Denethor is just, he's on 11 and he's on in a Shakespeare play all the time. Yeah. And that's that's the only level he goes to. Partly that's because of the script and partly because that's who the character is. Yeah, But I feel like, yeah, he's the one who stands out the most at all. I think
0: he's just like a single-minded piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. And you're like, fuck that guy. Yeah. Like, seriously, fuck that guy. Yeah, and that's what I love as well. And, and we haven't really talked about Gandalf that much. Uh, we didn't talk about him last week because sort of, Gandalf came back from the dead. Yeah. And we kind of just glossed over it. We are just like, oh yeah, Gandalf's back. Um, but I love, I think Gandalf the White, because it does kind of feel like two different characters in a way. But Gandalf the White really comes into his own in this one. Yeah. I love he, the way he treats Denethor. He just doesn't have the time for it. Yeah. Because like, again, comparing him to the way he treated Théoden, and and he like coaxed him out a little bit. And he knew that he could get through to him. Whereas with Denethor, Denethor turns up and like yeah. and he just goes, the rule of Gondor is mine. And Gandalf's reaction is just to turn at, turn around and walk away. Don't yeah, say fuck off. Doesn't say a fucking word. And then later on, when like Gandalf's like, everyone flee, Gandalf just smacks him in the face <laughs> yeah. and knocks him out and goes, prepare for battle. And he just takes charge <laughs> of the entire city. <laughs> Gandalf becomes a military leader in yeah. this film. He just goes, yeah. General kill, Gandalf. Yeah, General Gandalf. Killed the trolls. Aimed for the trolls. And I'm just like, who's this guy? This is fucking great. Yeah. But also,
0: again, it makes sense because you know we we are talking about somebody that's lived for hundreds of years, yeah. And um, the Astari, I
1: think. Uh, I, oh, I don't know. That's deep lore.
0: I mean, yeah. This is this would be digging really deep. No, like in the, the Magi or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's like the the Aether, and then but then they call him something else. Which is like Mith- White Rider, Mithrandir. Mithrandir. No, Mith- I think Mithrandia but then, is Gandalf's elven name. Gandalf's elven name is Mithrandia, which is also his true name. Yeah. Well, that's his his man name is, is Gandalf, the the grey or Gandalf the white. But his yeah, yeah, it's it's very complicated. They're I mean, all very complicated. I mean, they're like essentially even, angels.
1: Yeah. They're sent. They're sent by a higher power which is like the gods, to do do their yeah. work on Earth to a point where that's the explanation we're given about how Gandalf comes back to life. It's that he was returned. That, he's that like, oh, I've been returned until yeah. my task is completed. Yeah. And, it's and I mean, like- it's it's not a
0: million miles apart from where we're looking at things like his dark materials and stuff. Like no. That. And we start getting into the the more angelic sort of areas of that. Yeah. And it starts to pertain that they are... There is a mortality to them and there, there, there is a flawlessness. Uh, there's like a lack of flawlessness to them mm. as well. They're not just these divine creatures that can swoop in and do whatever they want. They can assist and they can guide, mm. but they aren't all powerful. Look no. at what happened to Saruman, for example, and like what happened to Gandalf when he fought, when he sort of faced down the witch king. Yeah, but that's
1: also what's interesting about him coming back as Gandalf the White is that it's almost like he's rewarded and given an upgrade. Yeah. To a point, like, the white is meant to be the leader of the order. Yeah. And that's who the the white is. And that, so he then gets upgraded. So and there are, like, two... There's two blue wizards. There's,
0: there's two blue, there's two or three greys.
1: I think all it there's is... There's a brown. No, I think all it is is literally... There's
0: not... There's not there's there's two blues that I think there's... I think... I'm just trying to remember how it went.
1: I think it literally all it is is um, Gandalf, Saruman, Radagast, the brown, and then there's two blues, and that's I it. Think yeah, obviously. I think that's it. There's five of them in total. Um, and so, some of the mystique again is lost by when we do meet Bradagast in The Hobbit, which we, yeah, let's not talk about that. Um, just the bloke runs around with bird shit in his <laughs> his hair for the entire movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Gandalf is amazing in this, and again, Ian McKellen's amazing performance. <sighs> Just yeah, that the um sequence with him and Pippin. Yeah. Again, that's like at the end. Of, so we have this long protracted um siege of Minas Tirith, which goes on for for ages and ages. And what they do a really good job of with Minas Tirith is establishing this idea of the verticality of it. Yeah. So again, it's the, the idea of the city is that it's like built into the side of this mountain, this giant like rock face that's sticking out from this um mountain. And there are seven levels, mm. seven different levels of minister. that rise up and up and up until you get to the top, which is where the king sits, or the steward in this case. And they do a really great job of like establishing that really early on by having that amazing sequence where it's, it's Gandalf riding up, going up yeah. and up and up, which is another great bit of music as he's doing that. But then you also get in the fight sequences like this one bit, which I will I love is one of my favorite shots, is when the when the Nazgul attack. Yeah, and it's like it's like they're having a you know there's an airstrike they basically they call in an airstrike and they literally but at one point like they grab a load of Gondorian soldiers in their talons and then just drop them and rather than cutting away Peter Jackson holds the shot for ages doesn't he (laughs) and you see them fall all the way down all the different levels and it feels like a really long way and then you 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 see them them. you see them hit the fucking roof and then bounce off the roof onto the floor and you hear the the noise the thud of these bodies and it's like Fuck. And it's just like, it's such a great way of, again, because that's around the same time that they do the throwing the severed heads over. Yeah. And it really sort of lets you know this is the stakes, but also gives you a great sense of that, of space and time. Again, it's all just done through models, essentially. They just had these, like, whether they be CG models or actual models of Minas Tirith that they built. Yeah. And they just created this amazing city. Um, And then that leads logically later on when you get that emotional scene with Gandalf and Pippin and they're behind this door you understand that they've basically now they're on like level 6 or whatever, mm. of 7 and they're behind this door this is all that's left and they've literally the entire city has just been sacked up to this yeah. point and they have this like final this is what's going to happen when you die basically he yeah. gives him this speech about what the great havens are and death is not the end and it's like words of comfort it's just this beautiful little sequence and it is it's
0: so wonderfully prescribed in that as well yeah And saying about Ministerith as well, like the way that you understand that these people, they haven't been threatened for so long Mm. and they are just literally hiding in their ivory tower. Yeah. And you know, it couldn't be more on the nose in some cases. So they don't know what to do. No. They are all very extreme, extremely well like dressed and protected and all their armour is pristine and in great condition. But then you look at, Sort of Farami's rangers, for example, yeah, so, we troop, yeah, shall we say, rather than rangers, but they've been out, they're out, been there. out there, they've been out there, like doing it. They're all fucked up. They're, yeah. you know, they're scruffy, they're dirty, they're like in amongst it and living in caves, yeah. And then you've got this sort of army of people that are just really well treated, who yeah. just are looking around like, what do we do? Yeah, they have no leadership, like it just feels really ceremonial. But then you get somebody, like you say, like General Gandalf coming, that somebody that's an actual leader. Yeah. But then it demonstrates the listlessness of man because yeah. they don't have somebody like Aragorn there.
1: Yeah, but it's even like, I feel like if Gandalf had had more time, would he been able to have tried... Would he have been able to save Denethor? Mm. in the same way that he did with Théoden? Théoden had been lost to this or yeah. He was more directly lost because... There is another parallel, again, in the books. It's like the reason that Denethor turns is because he's being corrupted by, it. there's a Planter that he's looking into. Mm. And he's like, Saruman, uh, Sauron Sorry, is just showing him what he, like all the shit. So he sees like Frodo locked up in the tower and just yeah. makes, draws his own conclusions from that. Yeah. Um, so it's like, arguably, if there had been more time, Gandalf could have turned it around with Denethor. Unfortunately, we're at the point where there's a fucking army on the doorstep. So I ain't got time for this shit anymore. Yeah. So, so I've already sorted out one king. I don't have time to sort you out as well, all right? Just, yeah. just get out of the way. Get out the... <laughs> yeah.
0: And that's the thing. Like, the severity is laid out really clearly in yeah. this one. Yeah. Whereas when he's talking to Théoden, he's like, all right, I see what's happening here. Like, We're going to have to be Cause... a little bit more careful because this is a guy that's... This isn't Denethor who's just... A wailing madman that's in his that's... robes yeah. shouting off of the rooftops yeah. and saying I'm in charge and you'll all listen to me Thalen is genuinely really corrupted yeah Gen- he's corrupted he doesn't know what he's doing he's sending people off yeah through his own through an external force of corruption mm-hmm. via Grimma rather than his own ego and yeah. vanity that's the sort of the difference that i found is that that he knew with theoden that he could sort of draw out the true man the real man yeah, behind and, it but that's not but to say when, that like with denethor he's just like this guy's fucked he's been here for too long mm-hmm. like he's he just he just thinks yeah. And it, it's the entitlement that he feels as well because he starts screaming
1: i'm in charge yeah i will not bow to this <laughs> ranger from the north and the, the way he talks about aragorn yeah as being lesser than him it's like yeah um, that's what um, gandalf says the authority is not given to you to deny the return of the king yeah um and it's like if only he knew like how how because a lot of denethor's character is wrapped up about how he feels about boromir yeah and if only he knew how boromir saw aragorn and more like boromir's final words were he's my captain he's my king if he'd known that, then things could have been different. Yeah. And again, like it's really interesting the parallels between the two of them because, of, like, although Thadden is clearly the more heroic, he's still ma- majorly flawed in that he's, you know, because they're both grieving fathers. That's mm. the thing. But bo- they both lost their sons, and they're both kind of obsessed with and they're, the they're, past. They're,
0: they're, they both did the same thing. Yeah. But one was under his one, one was under an external force of corruption, and one was under his own
1: yeah. ego um but like yeah they and they both have um heirs that are there that they either cast aside or don't recognize for whatever reason yeah and again like you say theodens was because of an external force he sent um airmare away because he was told to do so because of the thing whereas um denethor sends Faramir away because he's a piece of shit yeah and so again it's off your own back and that's the difference but like there's so many parallels between them um, but they're still like, you know, one of the last things Théoden says is I go to the halls of my fathers and they've got this whole thing about all the old men in these films seem to be obsessed with the past and being living up to their yeah. legacy and their like, they're all just talking about the legacy, legacy, legacy and being worthy of their fathers rather than thinking about their sons. Yeah. And that's a whole that sort of flawed mentality. And again, that's something that's probably something that Tolkien put in there deliberately. As a sort of a commentary on the on the mentality of the generals during the war, yeah, and it was that you know they are they're worried about being seen as one of the great military leaders, and they're sending people's sons off to die, but they're not thinking about yeah. that. They're thinking about the yeah and th- politicians as well, yeah.
0: like it's it's the fear of war, but also the expectation of duty to those that came before. Yeah, so they are lining up their own beliefs in the way that oh this must be done because this is how it was done mm. which is a, a common flaw of what happened in world war Two because so much of the, the so much life was lost because it was done in like archaic battle techniques yeah like the the trenches and like being out on the front wasn't the most effective way it wasn't the way that they were winning the war yeah That was the way that they were throwing bodies at the wall because they didn't know what else to do because that's how they'd done it before and that's how they won it before, Mm. so let's just do the same. Yeah. But the fact that a a large proportion of the reason that happened was because it was collapsing in on itself, and we got new military intelligence and we got new military force and we got a backup, we didn't just do the same thing. Yeah. Which is how. It is de- demonstrated in this because, like again, going back to the ghosts and going back to the way that we're looking at how this force was won wasn't just by throwing bodies right at it because that immediately failed. Mm-hmm. It was we need to do this and this and this and we do need to ask for help.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, yeah.
0: We're not going to do this on your on our own. We are great and we are g- glorious and we are powerful. We can't do this on our own. We yeah. are a very small force, and, it's and that- if anyone's picking up on my allegory there, <laughs> you don't deserve a gold size, It's very obvious.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, it's the, and and Rohan will answer. That's the turning point, or well, that's one of the many turning points. But yeah. that again, that could have been a point where they just went, no, we're not going to do it. Um, but again like I said so many different things had to happen for this for victories. it's kind of it's almost a little bit like the end game it's like Mm -hmm. there are 14 million different ways that they lost the war of the ring but only one in which they won and that's the one that we saw Yeah, Return of the King Um, but yeah I mean just what was I going to say
0: I don't think we're talking about (sighs) I think some of the more interesting moments that we have in this are the ones that were created for film. yeah i guess
1: so. i think again there's there's something to be said about so we're talking about it in terms of talking about this and it was uh, there's a lot of stuff that you can draw parallels to to the first world war he's always maintained he hates allegory he's mm. always maintained like he hates the idea that the the ring is the the nuclear bomb mm. he hates that idea doesn't like it and it's fair enough but there are hangovers from that that i feel like are unfortunate in the way they're interpreted and mainly i'm talking about the relationship between frodo and sam mm-hmm. so that was very much born out of the the idea of like a, a footman in the army who was yeah. just a guy who would look after the officers i would sort everything out for them and would just would be totally devoted to them dedicated to them and they would develop these like really good strong friendships but although there is this element of rank in there there is this it goes beyond that and they have this just strong friendship and relationship. It's the fr-
0: fraternal bond.
1: That yeah, exactly, in there. exactly. Although, even though it starts from a place of servitude almost, it then develops into something else.
0: Well, Because they, they, he mentions he says, yeah. "He's I'm his gardener. I'm his gardener, yeah. <laughs> and he
1: calls him Mr. Frodo and there is yeah. an element of that. And they've tried to sort of write their way out of that so they, there isn't that hierarchy so much. But the problem with it is that we all watch it now and there's a lot of people or a lot of, you know, particularly at the time, there were lots of sort of piss-takey comments about it being like homoerotic and then mm. being in love with one another. And it's like, that's not what he was getting at. It's, it, it's not like, yeah, it's not, he was, there was a very, this idea of this, a platonic, close friend, uh, male friendship mm-hmm. that existed and and like I say, that bonds of fellowship and, you know, that whole relationship, which is a very, is a difficult concept for like modern audiences to grasp, and not draw those parallels of oh, but they they want to they want to fuck each other, then don't they? Don't, are they hmm. gay? They must be gay. Well, yeah, like, that's the That's, they, the, thing. that's the, is, the only way possible
0: we can... for we've gotten to a point where this hyper masculinity that's developed <laughs> out of both the Great and Second World War, uh, in the, the this fear of homosexuality and the fear of a closeness of relationships with men. Yeah. The the toxic culture of masculinity now is is the same thing that permeates with when you look at something like the new Star Wars trilogy mm. and you see Poe and Finn yeah and I fully admit that I shipped that from day yep, one yeah me too I was like <laughs> I want those guys as a couple it would have been great because yeah. it would have been brilliant but at the same time the fact that it didn't happen didn't disappoint me so much. Because it's great to see that two men can hug and not to have sex. Yeah, you know, it's it's good to see that two men can do that and uh, and not be related, and then not have to kiss to pander to someone. Oh yeah, and there's no or like, to make to to upset somebody in a different way.
1: But thing, I think I think that that's the difficulty of it is that in certain films like there's like bromances, and even if you look at stuff like Bad Boys, yeah. for instance, they're like they, there's a, the idea of a close male relationship, but for whatever reason, with Frodo and Sam. People seem to just want to push this whole gay thing onto it. And it's just like, that's not what he was going for. No, that's, but it's, that's it's, not... it's
0: good to see because it's good to see that that, that can be recognised in a way where it's not judgmental. And I think the representation of it being in there where people can say, I think they should have been a couple mm. is is testament to the fact that people aren't aren't watching it and going, I'm not watching it because there's that gay couple in there yeah that's the difference i think the fact that people were encouraging this relationship there yeah because it is in largely a sexless world for hobbits the only time that we see a real hobbit relationship is sam and rosie yeah which is at the end yeah um and where his sort of loving glances at the start yeah but to have that in there as well is it's frustrating mm. and it's it can be a troublesome message that anytime you see two men having a good time together and being able to hug and be like i really care about you is seen as gay yeah because people then associate that with emotional and then you're like no are you associating somebody's sexuality to an emotional weakness are you yeah uh, is this something that you're projecting in the wrong way but yeah, it's, it's a really interesting concept. Yeah, I, I think my... I'd love to have seen it happen. Mm. But at the same time, I don't think, I don't think it would have functioned well. In no, this. it wouldn't. I, I think I, maybe yeah. having uh, having Frodo have sort of um, have like an unrequited love for Sam could have worked in a way. Mm. But I think staying as close as they did to the story and having it as a fraternal war bond, yeah. And going from somebody who did his garden that he knew to being his best and closest friend and having that unbreakable bond that even when, as is described in the books, if I remember correctly, Sam stays behind to keep the red books.
1: Yeah, he gives the book. He gives the book to Sam. Yeah,
0: And they do that in the film as well. But it's this honour that's been passed down to Sam. Yeah. And it's the recognition that he did. He sort—he saw, saw, uh, continued his duty right to the very end. Yeah, And then he became a hero to the Shire, but not a war hero. Hmm. He, became, he became a hero as in he became a figure that everybody looked up to and yeah. respected. Yeah, and
1: I think that's something that, like, again, Tolkien wrote about some of the stuff that happened after the end mm. of the story um and yet yeah, he did write more story for sam and they, he had something like 20 kids or something ridiculous yeah. and he became the mayor of the shire and it was just and like i say it was this respected um sort of official almost in his old age yeah. and he became this, this like yeah sort of patriarchal figure as with amongst the hobbits
0: yeah but, it, he, and, but again it wasn't like
1: again, one of the things that i enjoy about the way
0: that tolkien wrote this stuff is that he didn't write it in a like Merry and Pippin were very much the sort of um, like banded leaders of this skirmish fighting force yeah. to take back the Shire. Where Sam was involved, but Sam wasn't the then, guy swinging a sword. No, because it's, Sam was the guy yeah. like teaching people the right thing to do and yeah. showing people the right thing to do and maintaining that duty as he did throughout the entirety yeah, of the war. So yeah, there's
1: only one way to eat a brace of conies. <laughs> and it's, there's certain things he knows and he sticks to his yeah exactly um, <laughs> and yeah Merry and Pippin really sort of come into their own in this in Return of yeah. the King as well because they both go off on their separate sort of journeys they finally separate them in this one for a start which is a really emotional and well done oh, scene Yeah, That's that gets you somebody's like oh, but you're, co- you're coming with me right you're, you're coming too like the idea of them being separated is so foreign to Pippin yeah. he, can't, he can't even get his head around it Whereas Mary's a little bit more mature and understands. Well, Mary's not the big brother. He's the big brother. And he just goes, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And he's not
0: going to see you again, are you? And he just goes, I don't know. Yeah. And that was the moment I was like, oh, mate. Fuck.
1: And as they're riding off, he just goes, I used to get him into the worst sort of trouble. But I was always there to get him out again. And again, that's another great one of those relationships where that one they never no, that's the thing no one ever accuses Mary and Pippin of being in a gay relationship. I don't no. know what it is about Frodo and Sam. Anyway, we won't yeah. we'll, I we'll, think, move past that.
0: Mary and Pippin, because Mary and Pippin's relationship is very much a fraternal. One. Yeah, they're lads. They're mates. They're, 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 they're. It's they're, like the big and little brother. Yeah, they're drinking buddies. Always he's, like exasperated by it. Yeah. Like, it's the same song that they've always sung when they were kids. It's the same jokes that they've always made. They've yeah. always just been ladding around. Whereas Sam. Is like the emotional crux yeah. of the sort of the way that the hobbits have. Yeah, and I, that. I, I like do, The fear is always shown through Sam.
1: I love that, that, how much of a reflection that is of the real life thing as well. It's like because Sean Astin was always the one who was married with kids. Yeah. I was always like the big brother a little bit. And he was always like really concerned about everything and trying to sort yeah. everything out, which is exactly Sam. And like that's another great showing of like art reflecting life a little bit. Um, but yeah, Marion Pippin in this, again. Um, Billy Boyd really sort of shows his his um, chops in this one, I think. Yeah. Um, both in the song and like his whole sequence that he has with the Plantier and what happens to him when he and the, the fear in his eyes. Um. And just yeah, like and the, the pair of them and they they've got this whole thing about wanting to go and fight and it, it, they both sort of evoked him, particularly Mary, like remind me a little bit. It was like Cap. It's like, yeah. everyone else is going off to fight. I've got no right to do less than them. So it's like, I could do this all day. He's the yeah. little guy, and he, but he still wants to go out there and fight. Yeah. Um, which is amazing. Um, and then he gets to be part of the ride of the Rohirrim, which is...
0: Oh, <laughs> I think that uh, that's one of the things that I enjoy so much about uh, Mary's, um, Mary's story, mm. is that his... Again, we're talking about like allegory and metaphor, and we're talking about the way that Tolkien didn't like that. But it's inescapable that this stuff is weaved in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. In, like, an unconscious way. But at the same time, when you talk about... Mary's there. Mary sees the glory of it. And he's like, everybody else is doing this. I need to do this. This is the same as the 14 and 15-year-old boys that were lying to get into the army to go and fight. Yeah. Because they saw it as... That's what they needed to do. Yeah,
1: and he gets this... He's got this old feeling of abandonment because like, it's like it's just a Aragorn. First, you know, first Frodo and Sam, now Pippin. Yeah. I'm like, I feel like I'm the last hobbit left standing. And all yeah. my friends have gone off to war and are risking their lives. And then, and, you know, they're saying, no, you're too little, mate. You stay back here. Yeah. And you just can't. He's like, he feels, like I'd be ashamed if that happened to me. And it's like, yeah. yeah. Um, and you get
0: Ama, who's like, I don't doubt his heart, but I just doubt the reach, his, the his reach of his arm. And you're like... <laughs> All right mate like yeah he's he's going to try he's got, but at he, the same time kind of I would react the same way if I, this... if, I, if I was on the front lines of a war yeah a war for the man and a war for the, wherever I was yeah. and I saw a child yeah and I would be like no yeah. come on man like it's not right it's, just, it's
1: physically as well because the you think about the way the here and fight which is from horseback Yeah. And so it literally means like, literally the reach of his arm from the from standing on horseback to reaching down and like and hitting an enemy, he can't reach. He literally, quite literally, can't do it. Yeah, it's not that
0: I don't. He's not he... going to be able to carry a spear. He's yeah. not going to be able to control the size of the horses that they're riding. Like, Although he does,
1: yeah, he takes the reins whilst Ama goes, yeah, akimbo, yeah. I fucking love that sequence you've got an issue with the elephants haven't you right no the
0: mannequins yep not so much like i think in hindsight i well in fact watching them recently has shown them to be like especially seeing them last night shown them to be less egregious than i originally thought they were right like i thought before they were a lot worse there are worse things in there. Like from a visual effects side of things, I always thought it was a bit shonky, but seeing it again last night on the big screen, I was like, actually it is a lot better than I remember. I do have issues with some of the stuff in there. Yeah. But at the same time, it's less, it's less so that I'd, it's less so than I'd sort of thought it was. And I think it's something that I'd seen and been like, eh, and yeah. then that's grown. Yeah. And then I saw it again. And I was like, actually, it's nowhere near as bad as no. it was. No. Um. I
1: don't know. You f-
0: also, like, the yeah. So surfing downstairs is the worst
1: thing. Just, just. Sorry. Surfing downstairs is the worst thing or the other thing? There were the, What happens in this one? With the, down the trunk. Yeah. The, 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 the stairs. Fred Flintstone. The stairs. He, he, he goes full Fred Flintstone and he, he sails down the trunk. Yeah. <laughs> okay I don't care. It. I love it. I love like, it.
0: I'm okay with the trunk thing. Are you? I just hate the stairs thing.
1: See, that. I don't understand that because the, clearly the trunk one and the, basically what we're talking about is the point where Legolas takes down an entire mumma kill thing on his own. Yeah. And he, but he just he climbs up the side of it. It's clearly... That is very shonky CGI because you can see there is... Some of it's really lumpy. Because you can see that they've replaced Orlando Bloom with a digital version of him and it just doesn't move properly because it's 2003 CGI. What are you going to do? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, but... The, the end result of it is that he kills this in time. This mama kill kills all the guys who were sat on top of it by just like cutting a rope, apparently. Yeah, they all fall <laughs> off. <laughs> Why did no one else think of that? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then he kills the actual elephant itself. And then just as he jumps down, he slides down the elephant's trunk and then just lands on like perfectly. Yeah. I, it's really dumb. Like That one I think is really dumb. I've got less, I've got more of a problem with that. That Like, it's dumb but cool, and I'm okay with it, but I've got less, more of a problem with that than I do with the shield surface. I think it's
0: because I see it as being more realistic in a way. How? Because, in what world? There is, there is a, <laughs> there's quite, like, having. I don't know. I <laughs> can't explain I just, that. No, there's I no. I think if I'm more okay with this one for some reason, I'm just sort of like, okay, it's a bit silly, but I'm okay with it. But. The scene with the stair surfing in Two Towers, I'm just like, fuck off. Vin Diesel did that in Triple X. Is that actually your problem? That's my problem. That's what it is, isn't it? Is that Vin Diesel did that in Triple X with a tray. Yeah. And he's like, so extreme! Woo! Yeah. And then you put it in the middle of fucking Two Towers, in the climactic battle sequence of Helm's Deep, yeah. when all is lost. Yeah. It's dark and everything's fucked. And he fucking does some skateboarding down some stairs. And then he, oh, he's off. That and he make, cuts that, a guy's I, head I, off. I still then maintain. And does a backflip. And, it makes sense. And more then everybody sense. applauded. No, it makes more sense. And, and he became prom king because more... he landed the one trick.
1: Shut up. It makes more sense and is more practical than the, doing the fucking killing of the elephant.
0: No, I hate it. Okay, all right. I, we're, ne- we're never going to see We're never going to agree on no, that. No, 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 but it's I fine. fucking hate it. And it's and I don't just think it's just dumb and stupid.
1: Yeah, okay, I've got one of them for this movie. Before I, really? Yeah. Before I say that, though, there's one that I don't feel quite as strongly about, but I do think it's weak, and that is The Army of the Dead. Yeah. It is just a bit weak, isn't it? It's just, I just don't, because basically they just they just turn up, and they literally, I think it's the way it's depicted, like the way you see it, is that it almost literally feels like a green colouring pencil, it's just <laughs> gone across the green all, cloud. literally just a big green cloud just goes over, and you see them like, overrunning all these giant elephants, and just going up the city, and just wiping everything out, and it's literally just a, a sea of green, yeah. CGI, and then just solves everyone's problems, yeah and it's just like, ah, oh. ah, oh, really, okay, just, it's just—it's such an anticlimax after having seen the ride of the Rohirrim, which is an amazing fucking sequence. Yeah,
0: you're like, what well, if if Aragorn had gotten off his ass a bit earlier, yeah, and had done this, thousands of lives Yeah, is that, and that's the spared. other problem
1: with it is that it, it raises so many like plot holes. Yeah, like why it does
0: it... explain more in, um, it does explain more in in the extended version. Yeah, because there is that longer conversation and there is. The talk about who they are and what they are and why they're there in there. Whereas in the theatrical version, it's a bit like, there's some ghosts in the mountain. Do you reckon they'll fight for us? Um, Go check. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we check.
1: They d- will. I mean, they do make it clear that it's because of the sword and they have this whole thing with yeah. the sword. And again, that's something they've completely changed from the book. Because in the book, he has that sword reforged right at the very beginning. Before yeah. he even sets out with the fellowship. And he's always had that sword with him. Whereas with this, they have it as an excuse to shoehorn um, Hugo Weaving in there one more time. Because they've got to keep getting him and Liv Tyler paychecks somehow. (laughs) That that does make me laugh. Every time it cuts back to them, I did like audibly laugh. And it was like, because it's it's all so desperate and we're all going to die. It's like, ah, shit, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. And then it just cuts to like the elves slowly meandering through the forest. Yeah. Uh, like, no, we're all gonna die. Come on! <laughs> like, you've, what are you doing? Uh, um, but yeah, and so you do get the sequence where he like he gets presented with a sword, and it and it pans all the way up the sword, and it goes on for about three years. He <laughs> just keeps panning and panning and panning. It's taller than Isengard. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, and Aragorn's great. Although the
0: the. Like, speaking of somebody that is like a a fairly big fan of like blacksmithing and forging and like the way that they do that is just nonsense.
1: What? The way that they they (laughs) just seal, they they just line them all up and and then they do a hammer and
0: it works and you're like, yeah,
1: just shut up. No, it's it's elven steel, mate. Oh, it's not. It's It's dumb. I know it's dumb. It only does make sense. But yeah, and
0: it's just like, at least like. Like do something like they did in Game of Thrones where they reforge you see them reforging it and you're yeah. like, let's do this and this and this. Like maybe reforge the blade. Yeah. Rather than hammer it back
1: together. Take all the pieces of it. Like there were too many pieces of it, quite frankly. Yeah. They're like, just, you're going to hit it with it was, a hammer and it's going to stick. Even when I saw it before, I was like, the amount, the amount of pieces they had of it, like, I feel like there are more pieces there than there are that would make a full sword. Like, <laughs> It's like, a big fucking sword. But though. it should have just, just been the handle and literally just the bit that cut the blade, blade from Sauron like the last little hilt that was left. Yeah. And then the rest of it is all just gone. So the rest of it is a new blade, but the hilt and the, like, it's still got the power in it or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, so yeah, Plenal fields. We get um, um speech and his riding along the yeah. the lines, like clattering all the um, spears before they ride, which is amazing. Again, that was Bernard Lee's contribution, um, and I love that they do, again this whole collaborative spirit they've got going on. Yeah, and he was like, "I'm gonna do this," and then he he pitched it to Peter, and he goes. Peter liked it, and I was like, oh, shit, now I've got to do it in front of all these riders who are, like, professional horse riders, and I know some of them. Yeah. Shit, <laughs> I better not fuck this up. So yeah. think, oh,
0: One thing to sort of pull the curtains back from this, what you're saying about the riders as well, is that they didn't have enough stunt riders no. in New Zealand that were men. Yes. <laughs> so almost the entirety of the sort of the Rohirrim and all of these sort of warrior bearded warriors that yeah. are on the back of these horses are all, all women. women yeah <laughs> I love that and it's fucking brilliant it's
1: great yeah I love it And the, but
0: even because it boy- does go to show so much about like Lord of the Rings and without getting too woke and too anything like that just seeing something like this where there is such a large proportion of female talent involved in it as well yeah not there's not a 50-50 which is understandable in an unfortunate way
1: well, yeah, but I mean, the, the Fellowship of the Ring is not well, meant yeah, but for a not, start. Not, like, even yeah. just, just, just on the front, in front of the camera, like yeah. behind the camera. Do you know but what I
0: mean? Behind the camera, like we 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 passed over it before. But talking about Philippa, yeah, like she was brought on as a Lord of the Rings mega fan, yeah, who was like, "This is my biggest task. Like, I've not done this before, mm. but here's my task to really go for this." And then Peter and Fran are like throwing like handwritten notes at her, like this is going in and this is going in and this is going in and then she pulls it together in such a way that it's it's yeah it's just so fucking brilliant to yeah. see that and seeing how much like behind the scenes talent was female as well as yeah, sort of it's difficult because you can't really gender bend too many characters within the Lord of the Rings no. but you, you, I mean you can and you can't and they try to make more happen there was the Eowyn and Arwin, sort of sisters in arms, back to back fighting at different scenes. And then they replaced, I've forgotten the name of the elf, who uh, took Frodo from Aragorn oh, yeah, at Weathertop.
1: To, with Arwen instead. So yeah, she and there's Arwen. So she's yeah. got
0: more to do and she's yeah. more involved. And they've made it a bit more about Arwin in yeah, this I mean, as well. To be fair,
1: they've got the whole I am no man.
0: Yeah. That's their big sort Which of... Which is fucking boss as well because you're like... Yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah.
1: Fucking gets me every time. And I'm like. Yeah. And that's, that's another great invention from this movie that they brought in as well was the Witch King as a villain. Yeah. Because we had the right, the, they had to like bring up the stakes and they were like, someone designed this wicked looking helmet, which is the most metal thing ever. Yeah. Well, no, that's not true. The most metal thing ever was actually in Two Towers, which is when. Gandalf kills the Balrog by um, killing it with a sword that's been struck by lightning. Yeah. That's the most metal thing that's ever happened in the history of film. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then you get the, the fight with the um, the Witch King and the ridiculous Morningstar thing that he has that's like too yeah. big to actually wield. That's amazing. Um, just, and he's got a fucking great sword as and well. And a huge sword on the other hand you're as like, well. You're like, mate, you're pretty extra. Yeah. Like, as
0: for somebody that spends almost the entirety of their time walking around in just a black cloak. Yeah. You're pretty extra, <laughs> but I just love. Yeah, I mean, again. I'd also, really... can we just point out the fact that the fucking fell beasts that they're flying on are not the Nazgul. Uh, yeah, can we can we just clarify that okay. just for anybody that's listening? Yeah, because it makes my shit itch whenever
1: people start <laughs> talking about that it's Nazgul. No, they're they're no, not the Nazgul. The Nazgul on the back of the fucking yeah, like he beasts. says that in Fellowship with the Ring. Yeah, when he said, when they ask what are they, he goes they are the Nazgul. Yeah. They are they are you know, neither living nor dead and gives yeah. that whole speech about who they are. They were kings once. All that he's talking about the Nazgul, yeah. i.e. the fucking black riders who were chasing them in Bree Yeah. And now they're just not on horses anymore. They're on these giant fucking dragon things. Fell beasts. Fell beasts. Yeah, fell beast that's the thing. They they don't give them I think part of the issue is that he doesn't there's certain things he doesn't give proper names to, if you mm. know what I mean. So there's fell beasts and then there's also like he describes great beasts Dra- that drag grond the big battering ram mm. but he never gives any more description than that so the designers had to basically just come up with some sort of weird like medieval rhino looking thing yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> it's I, like okay th- do. that's a great beast we decided <laughs> that
0: was great um, uh, but also like I, and I think yeah there's a part of it as well when, when the witch king does say don't get between you never get, get, get between Nazgul and his prey. prey
1: and it looks like it's about the the, the fell beast is about yeah. to eat so again i can see why people would see coin. why yeah, but, but that's not what it is pay attention <laughs> yeah um yeah i don't know other things that sort of a few things that struck me last night is just the the facial acting from everybody because it's, it's such an amazing no i know it sounds weird right but there is it's such an amazing ensemble but there were a couple of moments in this where it was literally so much was communicated just by the look on someone's face mm-hmm. and i think first one was um bernard lee on the battle of pleno fields yeah after they've just done the big cavalry charge and it feels like they've just sorted it out and then he sees the um the Mummer kill the um yeah come and you just they have this long this concentrated shot of him and he just he's got he starts with a smile on his face and then it slowly turns to just dread yeah. and he pulls his sword across his face as he's doing it and there's so much communicated before you even see what's going on and i love that but then the other one that I love, and I think Sean Astin, Sean Astin's so fucking good in this movie. He's Everyone's so good, but Sean Astin's so great in this film. And it's such a shame that it is. this film is constructed the way it is, and it's like they're all ensemble, mm. because it means that none, not one of them could be picked out and recognised in that, the acting yeah. awards. But Sean Astin, and there's the point where he's giving Frodo back the ring, and he's scared for him, because he's scared of what it's doing to his friend. Everybody else who's been had had been in a position where they could have taken the ring has got some element of it like them being tempted by it and that would be the, the impulse for them not giving it back. Yeah. Sam is just scared for Frodo and he commun all of that is communicated just from the look on Sean Astin's face. Yeah. And it's fucking brilliant. It. It's, so-
0: it's the close up the close up ness. Yeah. The feeling that that is existent in all three of these. Yeah. The one that I always refer back to is when they first come out of Moria. Yeah. And everybody's... Devastated. Everybody's like falling over and crying and Boromir's like yeah. trying to look after Merry and Pippin and everyone's really cross but Frodo's fucking gone.
1: He's gone. He's just like that one tear. And he's, and he's
0: just, like, just gone. And he's just like, he can't fucking deal with it. He just wants to well, get away from that place. And yeah. He just wants to get away and just keep on because he's lost somebody that he looks up to so much mm. and that he's just devastated by it. But it's just always the closeness of the camera, especially with especially with Elijah Wood. You see so much in what is a bit, like I know it sounds awful to say, but... He doesn't have, like, a complicated face. No. He has a very soft...
1: Well, that's part of... They're they're all very soft features. That's the kind of
0: thing. They're all fairly childlike, the hobbits. And, like, he was the youngest of the four. So he Mm. was 18 at the time. Was he really? Yeah. He celebrated his 19th birthday whilst they were out
1: there. Jesus, I thought he was older than that. No.
0: I pointed this out to my girlfriend last night, and she was like, yeah. And I'm like, no, it's not that obvious like he was 18 when this fucking started and then he even said it himself he's like I literally went into this as a child and came out of man yeah like and then you get yeah like you get Sean Aston who's got his wife and kid yeah. there and then his second child is in at the end of this one yeah. and um and then Billy and Dominic who are still young guys but like still have an exceptionally close friendship to this day. They fly around the world just to catch up with one another and whenever they're in the whenever one's in London, the other one flies down from Scotland or flies up to Scotland from Manchester or and they're still really good friends. But and it's the like Dominic Monaghan is is specifically the one that I look at and I'm like, he is unrecognisable in some of this as the same person you would see him as now. Yeah. Because he's so much younger.
1: Yeah, yeah. Definitely
0: like, it's not that he's specifically aged, it's just he looks so young and he looks so juvenile and so innocent throughout all of this. Well,
1: part of it is, like, they they did stuff to make them look younger, constantly. Like, they, mm. they would literally wet-shave them every single morning, yeah. you know, all the hobbits, so they would never grow any sort of stubble. Yeah. Because they had to look, like, childlike. And yeah. They, and they'd sort of and they'd nail that home again using the um the... Uh, scale doubles and uh, that's another great little moment as well one of the best uses of scale doubles is in this film Mm. is when denethor is throwing pippin out of the thing yeah so he literally and that's that's one where in the same shot that is left in the movie you see both the scale double and billy boyd in the same shot because literally all he does is he picks up this scale double person who's like a a little person dressed up in the same um, outfit that pippin's in walks down this corridor throws him out the door the the um the double then got, sort of dips underneath the camera and then Billy Boyd then pops up into frame yeah as they sort of rolls along the floor hits my back and then I pop up into frame like that so it's all just one long continuous shot and I love that there's no digital trickery or anything no it's literally just is that and then again same sort of sequence they were just using mirrors to get the horse to be able to go near the fire. Because yeah. they have that big funeral pyre, yeah. And literally, the only way they were going to be able to get the horse to go anywhere near it is to trick it, so they basically just set up a series of mirrors to make it yeah. look like this was on fire. Actually, the fire's all the way over there, yeah. But we just set up all these mirrors to make it look like it's it. mad. I love it, I love all the ingenuity. They, the amount of problem solving and the, and the things they came up with yeah. to make this what it is is just unreal.
0: And they keep referring to it as being like the New Zealand way and like the Kiwi way. Yeah. And like, that's how everybody pulls together. Yeah. And it's this whole sense of community. And like, like, um, like elders, like yeah. Maori elders blessed the set yeah. and like uh, everybody that was involved because they didn't want to bring on any sort of evil spirits or ward off like, any, or, and wanted to ward uh, off the mischief.
1: And, honestly, it is astounding to me that no one got hurt like particularly when they showed some of the um, stuff they were doing with the horses so yeah. the cavalry charges they had 150 horses charging and they had to go down these little like narrow corridors which is where the orcs weren't so yeah. the idea and at one point i think there's a there's a shot they show where it's literally one of the riders of and falls off and he's like third from the front yeah so he's got like a hundred horses behind him and they all just run and they managed to just avoid him and yeah. they just, no one, he doesn't get, I was like, how the fuck? Also, because,
0: like, but like, the, 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 there's this one of the scenes when you first see the Rohirrim go off, and it's, you see one of the guys just drops back, yeah. because his horse is just kicking off, yeah, because it's just freaked out by so many That's horses thing, around like, it.
1: Like, there's, you can mitigate for everything and you can safety everything. They're horses, they're wild animals, yeah. If they get spooked by something, they're gonna go and you can't control it. And like, no. they're like one of them, they had to swap out horses. For Aragorn, because at one point they were worried that the horse was just going to fall, like literally crush Vigo under him. Mm. It's just like, oh, can you like we're trying to train him to do this where he just nudges him with his nose, but what if he just goes?
0: <laughs> yeah. What if he lands on it? That's like half a ton. That's it.
1: You're fucked. He's <laughs> like, fucking done for.
0: But also, oh, can we, whilst we're on the subject of horses, we didn't mention the fact that Bill, yeah, the horse from the first one uh was not only paid by a horse but was also paid by two people uh, yeah, in, a, in a horse suit
1: yeah i i'm the back end of bill <laughs> yeah
0: and they were told that they could just work it out amongst themselves <laughs> Like, I love that. We're not going to choose who is the front and who is the rear of the horse. You guys can work that out. Again,
1: cutting edge motion capture technology that goes into making Gollum, but then you've still got a pantomime horse with yeah. two people in it. And it's the fact every that fucking element. Peter of...
0: Jackson had to specifically describe that they wouldn't be making a pantomime of these things to get Ian McAllen on board. <laughs> but yeah. Can we also right. share the thing that I shared with you? Was it the the alternative, Which is about the, the alternative the, casting? No, not just the alternative casting, but the, but the the fucking ridiculous complexity of getting Ian McKellen on set.
1: Right, yeah. What was this?
0: Right. So there was some scheduling conflict with X Men, wasn't there? So uh, originally, Sean Connery was asked to do Gandalf. Gandalf. He was sent the script he received the script he didn't come back to them
1: no right he didn't understand it he exactly. went to, basically the, the story with, uh, with sean connery is that he was around this sort of time he received two scripts he received the matrix where they wanted him to play morpheus mm-hmm. and he received lord of the rings but they wanted him to play gandalf he didn't understand either of the scripts thought it was just gibberish passed on both of them they both then went on to become huge franchises so he said to himself right the next script i get i'm just going to go for it even if i don't understand what it is that script that he got was The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and he's never worked since. Yeah. Anyway. So, to continue <laughs> on from the Sean Connery <laughs> thing, uh, they
0: said that, unfortunately, uh, because of the way that production was for Lord of the Rings, and because of the budget constraint, mm. this film was only made for 200... And... All three of these films were made for, I think it was $215 million. Fuck me.
1: That's nothing now, is it? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy.
0: <laughs> and, uh, um... The reason it went above two hundred and ten from the original two hundred and seven, yeah, or was two hundred and twelve. The reason that happened was because Vigo
1: Mortensen came on board. Oh, really? Yeah, because he wanted more
0: money. Well, he said that this is my fee for eighteen months and for th- for two years of my life for being in this film as a main character. Okay. And they were like, enough. okay, we'll give you six million, seven million dollars, which is actually quite a lot. Yeah, considering Sean Astin got paid quarter of a million dollars, yeah, and same for I think Mary and Pippin. So Dominic and Billy both got about the same, but but they were far lesser known mm-hmm. and weren't as predominant as predominantly main characters. But um, Sean Connery was told that whilst they wouldn't be able to do a lot in advance or as salary, they could give him what he would end. do is they would give him and a portion of the box office. Yeah. And the figure that they offered him that they were willing to go to was between fifteen and twenty percent gross of the box office. <laughs> the fact that he skipped that and this film made over three billion dollars or these films made over three billion which means he lost out on
1: four hundred and fifty million dollars. Jesus Christ. Yeah but would they I don't think they wouldn't have made as much money if it wasn't for Ian McKellen because Ian McKellen is Gandalf
0: and what Ian McKellen said he "He would have made a wonderful Gandalf but Gandalf isn't Scottish Gandalf is from
1: Oxford (laughs) oh fuck I love Ian McKellen I love him so much so
0: (laughs) following on from that uh, Ian McKellen was then uh, asked if he would like to Mm. there were a number of different people that were going around Fran I think it was Fran said that she wanted Patrick Stewart But when she saw Ian McKellen she was like no, I'm wrong. Yeah, It's him. So basically, Ian McKellen declined being Gandalf and he said I'd love to and I would really love to be in this film and I would really love to play Gandalf but I can't because I'm due to be in a film called X-Men. Unfortunately one of the reasons that he couldn't be in it because he was in X-Men is because X-Men had been delayed. X-Men was delayed Because Gray Scott, who we all know played Wolverine in the X-Men films... Oh yeah, famously. ...was caught up in making another film, which was Mission Impossible 2. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Mission Impossible Impossible 2 was delayed because Tom Cruise was working on another film (laughs) called Eyes Wide Shut. (laughs) Now, Eyes Wide Shut is is such a rabbit hole... (laughs) It's a film that took, and I think I'm right in saying, 300 days of photography. Why? Because of Stanley Kubrick. Oh, right, yeah. So the fact that Dugray Scott was in Eyes Wide Shut, no, Tom Cruise. No, Tom not. Cruise was in Eyes, Wise, Shut, and Doug Scott was in Mission Impossible 2. Mission Impossible 2 was in production, Doug Grace Scott was doing it, but he had to delay that production so he couldn't be in X Men. So Hugh Jackman had to take place of Doug Scott to become Wolverine. I've never heard of him. <laughs> and then Ian McKellen was then able to go through and do this afterward because everything got all shifted Fuck. with this casting change. <laughs> but also, Anthony Hopkins from Mission Impossible 2 was considered for some of these roles. But he was... Uh, Bernard, doomed, Lee. Bernard-, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bernard Lee. Bernard Lee, read
1: for Gandalf. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And- oh, thank and- fuck. Jesus. Because like, again, that's another one. Like Pretty much everyone in this cast, you can't imagine anyone else doing it no. at this point. And to a point where, and I think this is sort of a good point to sort of wrap it up on, is I don't... I feel like this... It can't be done again. No. like the, the, When I say it can't be done again, I mean this story of the Lord of the Rings trilogy fellowship two towers return of the king mm-hmm. because from what i understand that there is going to be more content that's going to be made amazon are making a tv series my understanding of what that is though is that it's a series set in middle earth and it's like in the second age mm. i think what we what we see in this film is the end of the third age yeah so it's like basically what that means is it's going to be set thousands of years before the lord of the rings but within middle earth yeah. Which is fine. I think the, the thing with it is that the world that Tolkien created is so rich and there's so many corners of it that you could explore and you could do stuff with that it does make sense for them to continue to do that and for more stories to be generated out of it. It does. Yeah. But, but I feel like this story and that with this collection of characters has been done definitively and it should sort of never be touched again. Hmm. It's kind of the same way I feel about the Batman origin story. It's been done. Batman begins is the definitive Batman origin story mm-hmm. and we never need to see it again on film. Do something else. There's a, it, again it's a rich there are so many things you can get into. You can get into all the the numenor and like and the fucking you could get into all the all the deep deep mythology that's in, that is inlaid here. You could talk about without ever having to go near Frodo and Bilbo and that whole group of characters. Yeah. And I hope that's what they're going to do. Um because I just can't imagine them trying to do this again like
0: yeah and that's the thing like there are so many things as well like there were so many that things that are like expertly pulled away from this yeah like things that were just sort of just just slightly like with surgical precision cut away yeah so that you could have something that is like more synergistic with the rest of the story that exists around it yeah so to to start interweaving that now or to go back when we're still within that same generation mm. is I think a dangerous move because mm. you're like, are you, are you going to share these stories? Because they have the rights to. Yeah. But then what we were saying last week about having these extended versions that are spanned out over like Fellowship as one series, Two Towers as one series, Return of the King as one series, the sacking of the shire as Mm. one series and or like at the end of something or um like have it as like a flash forward and then we're like looking at well how did this work and how did this work how did they end up here and like it it, in a less cliched three weeks earlier sort of way of looking at things and sort of interweaving these stories that exist there because there is this vast like emptiness there because you're yeah. like Sauron's this big evil, is he? Yep.
1: That actually, there you go. That was the thing I was going to come on to um, before before we finish. Sauron as the evil yeah. thing. That is the one thing that I fucking hate about this film, and always will do, and always have done to the day I die. Is the Sauron spotlight?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's really
1: fucking heading. I hate that because right so basically throughout the entire trilogy they've got this idea of this eye the, the eye of Sauron every time they want to depict Sauron they have this big fiery eye which is brilliantly realised and you see it like when Frodo puts the ring on in Brie and it's just, it just becomes this all encompassing thing that just takes up the whole screen Yeah, Saruman sees it in the plant here and it's this evil like malice thing and at some point I think it was in 2000 they first showed it as being the thing that sits atop this giant tower and again Back then, that was like, you would take that as a, not literally, basically, it's it's an artistic impression of the idea that he's an all-seeing eye, yeah, on top of the tower, great, cool. There's one point in this movie where they go, no, 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 he's literally, he's just a giant eye that is stuck at the top of this tower, and he shines his light across like a fucking, like a lighthouse. Yeah and to look at what he wants to look at and if you do what Frodo and did, which is hide behind a rock he can't see you because light can't bend round the rock I'm like no wait a minute he was fucking omnipotent omniscient before he could see yeah. everything everywhere he has this sleepless malice and now you're telling me he- no 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 he's just a fucking light bulb he just can't do you. he's just a light bulb and all I have to do is just hide behind a rock and then he can't see me and then it because it's I hate it because the point they're trying to make with that is then Aragorn draws his gaze and he looks away so he literally goes "Uh," and just looks over there (laughs) and and they're like oh look over there and it's just it it really I hate that because it's it's so dumbed down it's so like spoon feeding people to go get it he's looking somewhere else now he's not looking at Frodo anymore get it I'm like no we fucking get it we get the draw his gaze thing we get the fucking concept of it
0: but they have done that as well like when we're saying about they did that with the ring itself as well. Because it is, they are talking in the book, it's all about it being a burden. Yeah. And it's the effect that it has on him and it weakens him spiritually and emotionally and physically. Yeah. Whereas in this, they show that it has physical weight to him.
1: Yeah, But they show that
0: the scarring and like the the weight isn't a factor in the book. It's not an actual weight. It's a burden.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Is is it not a physical weight as well as being a... Is it not at all? No, it's okay. just it's like it's just this
0: spiritual crushing, like yeah. this, this. It's the, the fact that the ring has the essence of it. There is a malevolence to the ring in itself. Yeah. Like they they do describe it. It's like him being split between. He put himself into the ring as well yeah
1: that's why by destroying the ring you destroy him that's the one thing that's it's like a horcrux in harry potter essentially it's kind of it's the last thing that's keeping him alive because that's the other thing they almost did in this which is to give sauron a physical form but they did and yeah they filmed it they were going to have aragorn fight sauron yeah and they had they filmed it and they did it and everything and then they sort of changed their minds last minute and instead now they swapped it out for a troll yeah so instead now aragorn has this sort of one-on-one fight with this giant like armored troll um, but they had a guy dressed as Sauron, and he was fighting Sauron. Yeah, um, I'm glad they didn't do that.
0: Well, again, but then they were saying that it detracted from Frodo. Not not just that, but it detracted from the mission that Aragorn had. Yeah, because the point of it because was... at that point he'd won. Yeah, he defeated that force. Yeah, he was okay. His war is over. The reason he's doing this now is not for him to win. Yeah. It's for him to just draw that gaze away. He's doing the right thing, not the winning thing. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's the, and it's so like So they it, they took it away by having the being like I'm going to have to confront Sauron face on. I'm going to have to fight him man to man, face to face on this battlefield. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have to do that. Frodo's doing that. Yeah, because th- Frodo is doing that. That's taking away from him what you're doing. Is taking is just distracting. It's him. a distraction, yeah. You are just turning his gaze from Frodo and they, yeah, they to have, you. They have that. you might die, yeah, but, but you are well. doing the right thing.
1: That and that's what's great about that that scene they have when they come up with that plan. Basically, yeah. is when he goes, "We can't hope to achieve victory through strength of arms." He goes, "No, we can't, but no. we can give Frodo a chance." And that's the whole point of it. And you are right; like if they were to then have him fight Saur- Sauron himself, like if he was to kill Sauron in the field of battle, you'd go. Okay, well, that's it then. Yeah, he's done. done. What's what's the ring got to do? We saw that happen before. Yeah, exactly. So, like, so and the ring, like, is that then you like what? So you got to do both, and it's confusing. It's It's just just why
0: didn't Sauron come back before?
1: Yeah, if it's just a case of just beating this one guy on the field, then it just yeah, it completely negates the whole thing. Yeah, Um, but instead, what it is is blowing up the tower. Apparently, that's what you need to do. Yeah, Because it's just a, a eye in a single point that you can blow up. If you blow up the tower, then he doesn't have a, ta- a tower to sit on anymore. Yeah, And you see the little eye going, <laughs>
2: ah, <hello."> oh.
1: <laughs> Why didn't they ride the eagles the whole way, Tom? <sighs> the eagles are coming! Right. So,
0: the thing <laughs> with the eagles is that they are the single most arrogant and elitist things on all of Middle Earth. Yeah. They, since the dragons died and all have passed on, the eagles see themselves as better than everyone because they are above everyone. Yeah, they can fly. They literally rule the sky. Yeah, yeah. So they can fly. They can do whatever they want. The reason that they didn't is because it was just below them. They were like, "What the fuck has this got to do with us?" Yeah. Only when it came to the point that Gandalf came to their aid at the end, and they realised that. They did owe Gandalf a favor because he saved the Eagle King.
1: It's, but that's, that they were we never, like, that's the problem is that we never saw that exactly.
0: That was only in that's like, in the books. But then that's like before the books. Yeah. So it's like that's explained in the books, but the actual action is far before.
1: Yeah, that's the reason why because. And the explanation
0: times, of all these things is before.
1: Yeah, it's so, the same with the, in the Hobbit. He calls on the Eagles. Yeah. But Gandalf has that privilege because of what he did. Yeah. Because of the backstory, which we never get told that. So then people will just go, why can't he just catch in his checks and just get them to fly them all the way? It's like, yeah. nah.
0: But also, like, realising that in, like, by passing into Mordor, it's not just, you just can't just fly in. One does not simply fly into Mordor. Exactly. <laughs> you're, and like... The very like, air you
1: breathe is toxic fume.
0: And like, you, like, walk in and you're like, oh, this is fucked. like. Yeah. And it's quite obvious when a fucking great bird
1: goes past you. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's, it's a flat, barren wasteland, and yeah, they do they they create Mordor um, brilliantly in this. Um, we also, yeah, we get Shelob's lair and that whole sequence, mm. which is fucking terrifying. Which <laughs> is, I love the the silence of it at one point, just, yeah. just before Frodo gets stabbed with the stinger. Yeah, just the silence
0: of it. Um, do you know what? We were in the cinema last night. The two things that I heard during that whole sequence was you and hannah both slowly freaking out either side of me <laughs> both of you in different ways like oh fuck oh shit no
1: nope 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 nope, nope, nope. nope, nope, nope. just and i just i love it and again you look into the behind the scenes stuff it's because peter jackson is scared of spiders yeah. he fucking hates spiders <laughs> so he like that's his worst nightmare come to life and they just did it um yeah, that was great. Um, you get the whole sequence where the, the orcs end up fighting each other and Sam goes on a <laughs> fucking rampage, which is amazing. Ah, ah, ah. Ah. I don't know why you do that. Die. Just advertise your presence. Yeah, just Um keep sneaking in. Maybe. That's for my gapper. Um, I can't, yeah, I can carry you. Um, yeah, and then obviously we, we haven't really talked about Gollum in this film. No. But Gollum, I think he looks a lot better in this one. Yeah. Still not... Still 2003. Yeah. Like, he's still, like, I, I don't
0: know. I, I struggled to see, to see the differences between the two. Yeah. Like, it's not the first time that somebody's met. I just struggled to see it. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, like, he's brilliant in this. I think his performance is better yeah. in The Two Towers. I don't know. But I, I think know. a lot of what he does in this, like, the, the, his turn to evil yeah. in this is more... I don't know there's a, there's a, there's a point when he stops being the character and just starts being a potential threat. threat. Mm. And that's when it sort of loses it a bit for me because you don't if if we'd have seen like it's it's clear that he's coming back mm. we appreciate we understand that and we expect that but then there's the bit when he falls into the pit and then he just comes back. Yeah. There's no it would have been, there would have been I mean, a sense a more more sense of foreboding dread if we saw him in the background.
1: I think like you should have had one more scene there. I think him falling off and sort of when he realizes because he has that confrontation with Frodo. Yeah. Where Frodo says I'm going to destroy it, and once he realizes that, I think that's the moment where you should there should have been one more like schizophrenia scene where like Smeagol finally just goes. Yeah. Smeagol's not Smeagol's gone. It's just Gollum now because that I think that is something that he did better in this one. I feel is that. That schizophrenia scene where it's him talking in the um, in the reflection, yeah, I love that scene because he just he's, it's more subtle in this. Like his his golem is like quietly threatening, yeah. and it's like for us. He goes, oh yeah, yes, yeah, sorry, we, we we meant for us. And this and again he manages to do that perfect like being. Quietly threatening. threatening. Yeah, exactly. He's sinister and quietly threatening on one side. And then the other side, which is the same character, is fucking terrified of this other persona within himself. Yeah. And he conveys both of those things. Uh, yeah, I fucking, he's so good. God damn it. <laughs> um, yeah. Is Gollum the hero? No.
0: Frodo's the hero.
1: Yeah, but Frodo wasn't going to throw the ring in. Hmm? Frodo wasn't going to throw the ring in. He would have yeah, kept
0: well, it. Neither was Gollum. But they both fell in like like
1: so there is no hero then no one destroys the ring it no, just gets destroyed by accident it gets destroyed by
0: accident but like frodo is the person that got it there frodo was like i don't believe that that i still don't think that at, at any point within any point within the confines of mount doom frodo wasn't going to leave I think there was always going to be a point where he would have turned back. He would have had that realisation because that's who his character
1: is. Do you think? I, yeah. think was, I think that. once he put the ring on, I thought that was it. He was done. I think he
0: would have... Sam would have talked him out of it. But how? Something would have happened. He would have had a flashback. A Galadriel, a wild Galadriel would have appeared. <laughs> you know, a Gandalf, a Gandalf would have been like, Oi, prick. <laughs> Fucking remember what you're here for, right? <laughs>
1: mates but there's some good in this fucking, world Mr Frodo it's worth fighting for exactly yeah but um, yeah I
0: I still stand by it like so that Frodo is the hero of this he's the person that's carried the burden the entirety of the way he's the person that realized that he was always going to have to try and do this on his own hmm. and the fortitude that he's had to get there has been saved serendipitously by other people yeah but there were always forces that were acting behind him yeah
1: and I love like I'm, I, I meant to mention this last week, but I, I forgot. It's the Sam's speech at the end of Two Towers. Yeah, it's such a great microcosm for the whole thing. Yeah. So it's about potatoes? No, not about potatoes. <laughs> oh. um, his speech about the, the folk in those stories and why why those stories stuck with you and why they the stories that w- stuck with you the ones that mattered. Yeah, even if you were too small to understand why. And I know it's really like obviously they're talking about themselves and, and like the filmmakers are talking about themselves and this story I get it, but it is so true and it's so like for me like having as someone who came to Lord of the Rings as a kid basically as a sort of 10, 11 year old kid, it's exactly that and it's the same reason why I've talked about things like um, his Dark Materials like I understand like I don't even quite understand all the subtext behind this but I know it's important. Yeah. Because and it's like and it's I know why they stick with me and why they matter because the folks in those stories, no matter how hard it got, always kept going. Yeah. And it's though it's those that like central thesis of the whole thing. As sort of trite and sort of corny as it might be, is it why Lord of the Rings is what Lord of the Rings is? Well that's the thing.
0: Like that is it's being able to extract those messages and it's like without getting sort of theological, there are impressions that you can take from any literary translation of anything mm. and use that as sort of a drive or a message or to take that from it and people have done it for millennia from the bible and like these are like different mythological stories like this is the modern mythology it's it's classified as fiction now but who's to say that in 2000 years time people aren't looking at this and being like this is how we should be acting in these scenarios mm. You know, taking it back, like it's, like, a,
1: it's like we said the other way, like um, Gandalf's line about you know, so do all who wish um, live to yeah. see such times. And that is a parable that you can apply to, to, to living anything. today, living the pandemic that we're all living through at the yeah. moment. That's the
0: same principle. You can do that now, you can take that back to the Black Plague, you can take that back to smallpox, you can take that back to so many different things, yeah. like the War of the Roses. You can yeah. talk. You can talk about so many past things that have happened, the Roman invasion. Mm. like these things still ring true even now like sam's sam's speech the way that they talk about things the way that they present messages and the way that again like i'm saying like aragon aragon knowing that his battle is over but there's one thing that he needs to do Mm. to make this work yeah to fulfill the mission he's not just doing a denethor and that's another he's not just sitting in his tower and being like Look, I'm just doing my thing here, okay? Like, I'm not going to like that because, you know, I've got to do what Mm. I'm going to do.
1: And that's another piece that you get from the extended cut with Aragorn's choice there as well, is that he is shown Arwen dying, basically. And the Elvenstar, the the jewel that he has around his neck shatters. So it's basically, that's the thing you've been fighting for, and that's gone now. Yeah. A lesser man would have fallen into despair and gone, oh, fuck it, what's the point then? But for Aragorn the next we cut to the next shot and he's just there in his like full armour white tree of Gondor le- regalia le- yeah leading a fucking army because he's yeah. like well yeah I, what I was going for is gone but it doesn't mean I can't still help yeah. Frodo like, Fuck exactly god Aragorn's the best
0: he's fucking brilliant <laughs> but again that's the thing that's one of the things that I think about like the maintaining this message throughout from the Lord of the Rings is there is such a strong message in there yeah that even the smallest can have the greatest actions, mm. and um, yeah, like you yeah. said, I don't think this can ever be surpassed in the way that it is. No, sort it's, of it's been done.
1: It's been done. Don't touch it. Leave yeah, it like, like
0: I disagree. Like about the Batman stuff. Like I think there could be things that are done in different ways. I think framing things in different generations can work. I
1: don't want to see those fucking <laughs> pearls fall one more time, Tom. I yeah. can't. I can't see it.
0: Well, it's because you keep watching all those Zack Snyder things, um, <laughs> and defending them and uh but yeah it's like this can't really be done in the same way no not in this way because like no. i said it's for me it's all about the authenticity of this yeah and the it's fact like that say, you can touch almost everything in this film
1: yeah every piece of armor every, and again the amount of time and effort that went into it and just yeah from from everything that's on the screen and then everything that happened outside of that all the stuff that happened in post-production all the you know the technological stuff they did and how they were able to make the battle scenes look the way they did. And like mm. even like, um, again, and we keep sort of skirting around this, but the music plays such an important part in these movies. Yeah. And it just creates this incredible, like, world. It's a symphony in terms of just yeah. establishing where everything is. And this, I think, Return of the King has my favourite musical moment as well, which is the lighting of the beacons. Oh, yeah. Oh, mate. <laughs> that, that, <gets laughs> that that like proper gets you like as it's just as it's going it's panning across these amazing looking yeah, like vistas vistas of of new zealand and it's just and it's this swelling music as all these uh, these lights are just being these torches are just being lit from and you like see another one spot off in the distance yeah, it's can, such an amazing sequence no one says anything it's just
0: from that one line that you can hear in the background which is <laughs> like why'd you have to spill your Rage- beans <laughs> we do-
1: <laughs> a joke that i made when we were watching is that i want to see like, again if you're going to do more uh, middle earth stories i want to see a middle earth story where it's just two guys who have to look after one of those beacons and they're just stranded on top of a mountain until their relief comes in three days time but then there's a storm that hits and they go up there and they've been there for weeks and they go mad <laughs> like the lighthouse I, d- I would love to see that that'd be amazing um, <laughs> But yeah, that's another great sequence. Um, I don't know what else there is to say, really. Um, we love these films, clearly. We've talked a hell of a lot about them. Yeah, um, They are amazing. If you've never seen them, then for God's sake, watch them. Even yeah. if you're not a fantasy sort of fan, I feel like this is the uh, a bit like Game of Thrones. It's something that can speak to everybody in one way or another. Yeah, um, And they are just these monumental achievements in cinema and need to be seen. Yeah, I appreciate it even if it's just the ones. If it's not if you watch it and go not for me, but you can't not appreciate mm-hmm. the time and the craft that's gone into it.
0: No, you can't. They're, each one of these is spectacular within its own remit, but also as a whole. Yeah. Again like saying synergy, like, you know, 1 plus 1 plus 1 isn't 3 in this case. Like 1 plus 1 plus 1 is 5. Yeah. In this case because they are fucking amazing yeah. Even, and all together the 11 hours and 36 minutes I think it is or something like that know, yeah. that they're together is just incredible it's purely and, yeah, yeah there are a couple of lumpy moments and there are a bit a couple of silly moments there are going to be points that you are going to argue with your mates about but it's undeniable the scale and the, just the incredible level of effort and achievement that you get out of these yeah is almost insurmountable absolutely but yeah. What we're going to do next, though, we're going to talk about a film that was written, that was conceived, written, directed, produced, and released in 12 weeks during lockdown. Oh, it's a called a Host.
1: Ugh. You've committed us to it now. Yeah. Okay. I've um, seen it already. Yeah. I All quite right. liked it. Okay. So, so that's the next thing we're going to do. We're going back from these monolithic amazing achievements of cinema we're going to go back to the streaming services and see what they have to offer Yeah. Um, so we're going to look so at it's this It's
0: going to be a slight
1: dip It's alright, we've got a slight dip but then if all if all goes according to plan touching wood we should be able to go and see the new Nolan film in what? about a week and a half's time What? A in, new film at the cinema? In theory, Tanette is still due out that on the 26th theatre Oh, shut up Um in theory, yeah, it's still going to come out. Not next week, the week after. So we yeah. should be able to do that. In the meantime, we're gonna, I'm going to give this um, host yeah. that film a go. And we might end up watching that Netflix, Jamie Foxx thing as well at some point. Oh, this is the powers. Powers. Give me know, some powers. Just Netflix has got too much money I've and they've bought Jamie Foxx and um, Joseph gordon Levitt. apparently. How, is... I don't know how they did that. Anyway. Um, so go that's, watch Lord of the Rings. Go don't watch any rings. other films. Correct. Don't, don't watch The Hobbit. Not worth it. <laughs> we are going to have to come to that side. no we're not I don't want to do it don't make me do it please don't make me do it remember we can get we... we get we get one veto a year You, you what you are going to make me watch the entire Hobbit trilogy rather than go and watch a fucking Fast and Furious movie I'm not watching the whole trilogy I won't do it you can not w- watch one okay well I can definitely not watch it in the Battle of the Five Armies then because that's a pile of shit I don't remember that one in the slide exactly is there a fight in some ice? Oh yeah, that goes on for a while. That's when there's something very dramatic happens and during my screening, everyone laughed.
2: What happened? I
1: don't remember. Yeah, we'll talk about it another time. No, we won't. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Right, there's one sequence in all of the Hobbit films that is worth watching and that is the Riddles in the Dark sequence with um, Gollum and Bilbo. That's it. I'll watch that on a loop and I'll watch anything else. I don't care about the fucking dwarves. I don't care about the the, manu- the manufactured love triangle that they squeeze in there for no good reason. I don't care about any of it. It's shit. Anyway.
0: <laughs> right, so next week apparently is The Hobbits. Is- no, we're not watching
1: The Hobbit. We're watching Host apparently. So we're watching Host. <laughs> um, we'll watch some other stuff and then we'll hopefully go and see uh, Um Let us know what you thought about Lord of the Rings. If there's anything we've glaringly missed. We've tried our best to cover these. Um, these are going to be very long episodes we've put out. Um, yeah. There's always going to be something that we've forgotten or we yeah. should have mentioned, but we didn't. Um, tell us. Tell us. Yeah, tell us. Get involved. And we still need to figure out whether Legolas sliding down the, um, the skateboarding on the shield is cool or not. No, we okay. still haven't got to the bottom of that. So let us know your thoughts Stupid on that dumb. as well. Stupid dumb. And I hate every anyway, second. thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.
0: <laughs> That's Annie, you, Lennox Annie Lennox sings a
1: song. That's what you get.
0: It's really sad. That's what you get
1: after 11 hours. It's you get rewarded with really Annie the Lennox. Nose. Annie fucking Lennox.
0: It's so on the nose. I've got a strange voice. I'm
1: really tall. Did you know that the, the, you know the song in the House of Healing or whatever? There's, there's someone singing. Is there? Yeah, so that bit where is um, Wynn getting looked after, or whatever, yeah, that's Liv Tyler singing. it? yeah, she yeah, she put a song in and then they like, they cut it and she was like gutted because she told everyone she was going to be singing the song.
0: Uh, <laughs> I would have just pretended I was Annie Lennox. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, it's me, but they credited uh, Annie Lennox because she's a diva, and <laughs> just, just fucking lie.